HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Hardcore is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. Over six episodes, we're taking a close look at the rebirth of American cider. Really, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that cider started to be revitalized in the United States. From the science of fermentation. So yeast, it's a fungus. It's a unicellular fungus. To the magic of terroir. What really excites us is thinking about communicating that very sort of spiritual aspect of knowing a piece of land. We're setting aside our cider donuts to gain a deeper understanding of this singular beverage. I love a cider donut. You don't have to have a cider donut with your cider, and I will die on that point. Subscribe to Hardcore wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Jean-Vievre Janssens. We'll talk to Jean-Vievre about wine, Napa, and Robert Mondavi. We'll taste a Cabernet Sauvignon Reserve and a Fumé Blanc for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Born to a French wine family in Morocco, Jean-Vienne Janssen studied under the best wine minds in France. She made her way to Napa in 1978 to work for Robert Mondavi, spent a few years consulting, and returned to Mondavi's Opus One in 1989. Jean-Vienne returned to Robert Mondavi Winery as director of winemaking in 1997. Over two decades later, Jean-Vienne still oversees wine as the chief winemaker. Jean-Vievre is not only one of the great women in wine, but one of the great people in wine. Thank Welcome you. to the show, Jean-Vievre. Thank you, Sam. Was that intro accurate, I hope? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, I want people to get an idea, because you have a very long, storied, rich history. Um, I want you to give us a little background on your journey in life and wine that got you to you know, present, current, you know, at Robert Mondavi Winery. Yes. Uh, so take it away. Of course. And um, I have to start with um, why I am in the wine industry. As I said, uh, my family had vineyards and wineries, but um, my father was a very strong mentor, and he's the one who has inspired me to continue in studying uh, winemaking and enology in Bordeaux. Of course, as a, as an enologist uh, who wanted to learn more, uh, it was natural for me to travel in California as a tourist enologist. And of course, again, Mr. Mondavi was extremely known in France at that time, and I'm talking about 1976, 77. 
mm. and uh, it, it traveled all over the, year, the, the world, but mainly in Europe and mainly in France to get inspiration for his uh, dream to open a winery in 1966. So going everywhere, going in Chateau, going in best restaurant, testing the best wines. So it definitely was known. But what is even better than that, he was bringing a lot of... Uh, um, a lot of ideas of winemaking back to Napa Valley and improving them. So um, we talked amongst our, my circle of, uh, of winemakers how he was bringing the stainless steel tanks to his winery, putting the barrel, the new French oak, just new French oak, and, and um, fermenting uh, Sauvignon Blanc in barrels, fermenting Chardonnay, all the innovation that he learned from France in different area, he gathered everything in one area, his winery. The vineyard was all innovation, but from different regions of uh, Europe. Uh -huh. So it was an unbelievable um, uh, school for a, a young winemaker to go there and to visit the vineyard with all each vineyard was experiment, as simple as that. And uh, all the wineries were new with uh, fantastic ideas. So if you wanted to grow and take some very nice uh, in, um, information, that was where you needed to go. It was a destination for winemakers. You, when you went there the first time around, you were an enologist. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the wine business was at its infancy I mean, if you walked around most wineries, it was probably five, six people. Did he have the vision where he had enologists, you know, looking at all research and data? I mean, was that unusual then? Well, I'm talking about 76, 77. Yeah, I mean, so the winery had already 10 years and his vision was big. So, but that right. was not typical of the other wineries. No, right. no, no. It was, uh, it was, uh, you know, he wanted to really improve the wine industry in California. He wanted to have his, his the Napa Valley known and uh, his winery known as a fine wine uh, belonging to the other region of the world uh, considered fine wine, fine wine regions. Right. So he was, he was uh, restless and he didn't have enough time. So he was gathering everything fast, quick, intense. So he had researchers in the vineyard, a group of three, four people. He had researchers at the winery, a department of three, four people. It's crazy. And, and plus the winemakers. Right, that's crazy. It was unbelievable. So you did that, but you left. You did some consulting. I guess you gathered enough confidence and knowledge where you helped other wine people yes, and wineries. Yes. But you came back. Yes. How, tell me how you came back to the Mondavi family at um, Opus. I worked two, two years as an enologist <clears throat> in the lab, so I knew a few people and, and Tim Mondavi, who was at that time in charge of the department of winemaking. Right. And um, I, I was friends with him. So when I considered that my kids were ready to go to school and be able to talk and, and um, be uh, function by themselves, I sent a, a, a letter to Tim and saying, hey, if you need me again in your uh, winery, I'm ready. And he called me two days later when he received the letter. He said, you know what, Geneviève, come and let's have an interview because we need somebody for Opus One. And that's how it started. What year was that? And when you got there, what were you doing? Um, it was like uh, 89, so January, February 89. And they uh, hired me for the groundbreaking of Opus One. So it was June 89. So Opus opened in 89. Groundbreaking. Groundbreaking. Yeah. Not, I, I, the concept of breaking the ground meant that it uh, was ready to go. It took okay. time to build. Yeah. So you were there at the beginning. Yeah, but the first vintage was 79. Right. So for 10 years, Opus One was made at Robert Mondavi Winery. Right. But after the success of Opus One, the two owners decided to build the winery. That and spaceship a of a winery. For Opus One. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you spent how much time at Opus? Almost 10 years, and uh, when I left, it was uh, November 97. So the last vintage of Opus One that I made was 97, and the first vintage at Robert Mondavi Winery is 98. What? It's funny, 97 and 98 were two totally different vintages, as all of them are. What was the best vintage in your mind under your tenure at Opus? 
It's like picking your favorite kid. Can you say which one? I had few. 95, 94, 95. All good years in Napa. Right. Yes, yes. Right. Um, all right, so you go to, why do you go back to um, the Mondavi flagship winery? Why do you leave Opus? Um, the same way I left uh, home in France, I wanted to learn more. Okay. And uh, I think Opus One is superb. And, but I wanted to know more about Chardonnay, Pinot, uh, and Burgundy and Bordeaux, but, and, um, and um, other, the, the Sauvignon Blanc. So I was just one single winemaker for Bordeaux Reds. I wanted to broaden my knowledge bigger than that. And to this day, do they only make the Bordeaux Red? Do they make anything else at Opus? Opus One, just uh, the Bordeaux Red. Just Reds. that Bordeaux yeah. Red. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Um, so what year was that when you went to uh, Mondavi? That was end 90s, of 97. End of 97. And, yeah. Harvest was done. So the 97 vintage for Opus was done. Mm -hmm. You worked on 98. Yes. That, with that, the team. That was a tough vintage for your first vintage, 98, right? Yes, but it was a lovely vintage. I'm still testing the 98 Cabernet Sauvignon Reserve. Good winemakers make good wine, I'm okay. sure. And the team. We... Never forget that. Right. Um, so you've been at Mondavi since then. Yes. For how many years? 20 plus years? And 20 plus years, yes. That's a, it's amazing for any job, amazing in the wine business. Um, and we'll talk about a lot of things that happen. But I want to get your take on a bunch of things because not like a lot of people, you've been in one place to observe you know, many things. So you've been in Napa Valley many years. You were there when the wine started gaining real credibility and popularity. Um, what significant changes have you seen in your tenure? I mean, is there anything that comes to mind? And I have a list of things that you may cover too that I want to talk to you. But when you're put on the spot, you look back, what do you see as, you know, things that have changed and happened? The major event in my time as a winemaker was the phylloxera. And, um, Explain what that is quickly. The phylloxera is um, a root um, bacteria, no, it's not a louse, uh, and which destroyed the vineyard in a matter of few years. And when I say destroy, you cannot go back. It's, you have to pull the pull vineyard. And, replant. and you have to be careful because it can pollute other uh, vineyards if the rootstock is not appropriate. And 80% uh, of Napa Valley was uh, planted in AXR1. And 80% um, of Napa Valley was destroyed by phylloxera, as simple as that. So was that graft or clone, whatever that's called? The, the, what is the it, rootstock. XR? That, that was prone to phylloxera? Uh, the, the, the phylloxera is destroy, destroy the vitis vinifera uh, vines. Right. And to fight for the phylloxera, you need to plant it with American rootstock, American vines. Because in America, you have the phylloxera. But we have vines here, very happy. But not the vitis vinifera. And the elegant wine comes from vitis vinifera from Europe. So the, the, the trick was, is to grow rootstock, plant rootstock, graft the vitis vinifera, and then you have the wine that you are testing now. In the past, AXR1 had a little bit of GN coming from the, um, the vitis vinifera, and that's how it was destroyed. When are we talking about? When did? Uh, the the 90, 90, uh, 1980s. Uh, right. And we planted uh, all those AXR1 was extremely appreciated by many, many uh, growers because it was less vigorous than the St. George. And the two rootstocks in Napa Valley was AXR1 and St. George. That's it. So typically, like you said, you have to pull the old disease rootstock up, plant new rootstock, a stronger, you know, American graft. How long does it take before you're going to pull grapes that you're going to make wine from? Usually uh, for, uh, for wine, it takes like three to four years, but it's not a great wine. Right. And if you really want a wine with uh, uh, the quality of your reserve, it takes 10 years, seven to 10 years, depending on the soil. So it's a long process and very expensive. You have to be patient with that. Um, 
let's talk about another natural phenomenon, climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see that today? Is it affecting growing seasons, timing, the quality of the product? I mean, what's your take on that? It's, for me, I belong just to Napa Valley, so I am a right. humble winemaker That's walking. That's the context I want you to talk about. And uh, climate change is a huge issue globally. So what, I, what I'm seeing uh, in Tocano, because mainly that's what I'm walking, right. some, some changes, in, but we adapt the, the weather changes with uh, viticulturists who are very good and some uh, vineyard, uh, the vineyard manager. So each time we have some heat or cold or um, uh, something special coming is going to react in the vineyard. So definitely at the winery, because of that team who is unbelievably um, clever and smart and knowledgeable, we can address in the wine uh, the, the change in weather right. very, um, very elegantly. But things are definitely more erratic. Erratic, of I would late say. than yeah, the, the, you know many years ago yeah, there was yeah. more consistency. Well, a few years ago it was crazy too, but uh, differently. Right. I would say. Right. Yeah. Um, it's crazy, but different crazy every yeah, year. Yeah, so you never yeah. know what's getting thrown at you. Um, you've made a style of wine, you know, that is elegant, bold, beautiful. Um, I've seen this, and I want to know if you've seen it. Have you seen a movement towards restraint in winemaking through the years? Do you see people pulling back on styles with cabs and even big Pinot Noirs and all that? I think it, it's coming with the new generation. They want a more restrained, less um, late harvest, hanging time. They want fresh, fruity, uh, good acidity, good pH, which we have done through since 1966. We have following uh, Mr. Mondavi's vision with the style. He wanted always to have the wine to pair with food, friends, and easy to drink, and that's what we are doing. But I'm seeing quite a lot of people now, quite a lot of winemakers yeah. going back to that style. So sometimes Napa's tagged with being these big, opulent mm-hmm. fruit bombs. Mondavi's vision, not to be confused, was not necessarily that type of wine. He was into more freshness, food-friendly, you know, which is an important thing. What about Napa also gets hit for this the wines have become very pricey we know why i mean we know the property is expensive and all of that i mean do you ever worry that wines in napa will price themselves out or your wines will or you feel they compare with wines of similar pricing is that ever a concern I think we need to understand the economy of Napa Valley. You said the the price of the the acre, acres, but uh, we have the price of the grapes going every year higher and higher. Overhead, pretty big because we have a lot of people receiving uh, the tourists, tourists, and um, we have so many and the. the the people working are getting more and more pay, paid. Right. So there is quite a lot of um, overhead for the bottle of wine. And I think, um, do, I, do I think that it's going to stop at one point? I have no idea. But I know that just right now, Napa Valley is very well, wines are very well appreciated at any price point. Right. So they compete. Because... The property values, labor, that's your problem. I'll go somewhere else and find a wine equally as good for less money, but these are wines that will compete with anyone in your mind and, you know, are world class. Um, So in that sense, you know, they're worth it. Um, I want to ask you about your take on women in wine. Mm -hmm. I think women have been underserved in all areas, whether it's ownership, winemaking, sommeliers, you know, wine distribution, all of that. Um, Do you think today women currently are properly represented when you look around? Are there enough women in key positions? 
There are not enough women, okay. but there is a movement which are going, which is going to bring the woman more in place. We will have more general manager. We will have more head winemakers uh, instead of be, the winemakers. Usually, um, you see a lot of assistant winemakers as women instead of being the winemaker or right. being the head of winemaker. But uh, I think it's an evolution. When I arrived in '78, very few. I Very mean, it's, little. it's incredible. That's yes. why the yes. question to me is so valid to you. Yeah. You know, you were there when it wasn't an issue, and then it became an issue. Yes, and for the last 10 years, I belong to a few white women clubs. And we are all together, we support each other, we help. And I think it's very important then, women help women. And so I think I'm going to see the next 10 years something changing. So the big question is the big why. Why, and, you know, get out of your comfort zone for a second. Why do you think, you know, women were perceived as assistant winemakers and not the head winemaker? They're not running the companies. I mean, what is it? that The arguments are relevant as far as capability then and now, but what held it back? It's just a sexist world? I would say tradition, and we need to kick the tradition out. And That's the traditions are changing. Yeah. That's okay. good. Yeah, and I guess tradition was that men dominated the businesses. They made the decisions. Or maybe the woman didn't want to because you have two things. You have the men dominating, but I'm not against a man. I like men in the uh, wine industry. But maybe the women were not ready to jump in. But now they are, so they are going right. to have the, the room. So I don't think there is somebody with thought or whatever. I like to be positive, but I think the woman now has, uh, wants their, their part of, of the, the activities, and they will get them. In your time in Napa, was there ever a time that you felt uncomfortable being no, a never. woman? No, in I any think, situation? No, the, the, the winemaker's world, the wine industry, is is wonderful. It's a fraternal. Absolutely, you can be man, woman. They are very open. They are friendly. They share of the, the goal. You can be a winemaker, woman, or man is to have fun and to make great wine. Right. So no, I don't That's have nice any problem. Um, towards the end of the show, we're going to taste the uh, the reserve, but I want to take a break for a second, and we have in front of us. You brought um, the Mondavi. Napa Valley, Fumé Blanc, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the real true specialty of the winery is Fumé Blanc, Chardonnay, and the red wines. The and the Pinot, the, too. And the Pinot. Yes. Um, talk, this Fumé Blanc has been made at the winery mm -hmm. almost from the beginning. Yes. Tell me what's in front of us. So we have an estate wine. We grow our own Sauvignon Blanc in two uh, AVA of Napa Valley, Stagslip District and Oakville District in Tokalong. And so it is, we, we grow our own grapes. And uh, Mr. Mondavi, when he started to call the Fumé Blanc in 1966, it was to change a little bit uh, the perception of the Sauvignon Blanc in, uh, at that time. And he crafted the name Fumé Blanc. But what's the history behind it? Why Fumé? Fumé because he visited the, the Loire Valley and uh, that influenced Fumé. him. Oh yeah, and he wanted to because it was a new winemaking. He needed to craft something totally different than what the other wineries were making as Sauvignon Blanc. And so Fumé Blanc means fermentation in barrels, means um, protection of the juice, means a fresh, fruity, juicy. Um, mouth-watering and very floral, so it's all of that and we are trying to capture in the bottle. So definitely it's a wine which was very, uh, very uh, close to his heart. Right. So this bottling, Robert Mondavi Winery, Napa Valley Fumé Blanc, this is a wine that's all estate-grown grapes, right? Yes, yes. Terrific. Um, it's drinking very well, and it's a 2018. Yes. And I'm sure it could sit in the bottle for a few years, too. Oh, yes. And, and yes. do well. Um, it's very nice. Um, your dad, you were talking about him before. He preached quality to you, mm -hmm. um, which is something I think you carried along. Plus, I saw somewhere you said you take a holistic approach towards wine and that's quality. That's Mr. Mondavi, the holistic approach, and well, that's why I'm in Napa Valley. 
yeah. explain what that means. You okay. know, what is the approach? Okay, the approach is um, uh, we make the end result of making wine to share with friends and family and everybody who enjoy wines. But you have to start at the beginning. So you start in the vineyard, you start having, it's all team oriented. And so you start with, we start with people. And then from the, the, the vineyard and people have worked very hard full year, they go to the winery and the winery we have the team who is dedicated. So, and then after that we bottle the wine and we have the team bottling the wine. And then that wine will go magically on a table to embrace the family, the friendship, the joy of life, the, the good life. And uh, that's what Mr. Mondavi taught me. So you were initially drawn to his philosophy. That is his philosophy? Yes. I mean, what you just explained is important to you. He practiced, preached it, and all of that. Yeah, and I loved it. Yeah. I, I, I still love it. I, I mean, every element. It's the vineyards, mm-hmm. the cellar, the people, the finished product. Yeah, and the weather. And the weather. Mother Nature. You know, enjoying all of that. Um, this, I know, is going to be a tough question to answer, but see if you could. It's not hard. But fondest memories of Mr. Mandavi? I mean, a moment that, you know, you still think about, you know, that resonates. And sometimes it's the little things, you know. I think uh, I'm still very emotional when I talk about Mr. Mandavi and about how he was treating his employees. When he was walking, he was always walking every day in his winery, and he was always stopping by each employee, asking how was the family, how he was, do- how that person was doing. So very close to his people, and then extremely generous. He was always giving us all the tools for research, and when we were making a mistake, he said, "I'm fine with your mistakes, but have you learned something?" And and I don't want you to do again that that mistake. So all of that was great, and then he was so generous. And then um, I think he was a leader, so we always ha- like to have a leader. And we talked about women and wine earlier. I mean, without missing a step, you know, he's had... Did, didn't a woman precede you mm-hmm. yes. as a winemaker? Who was yes. it? Zelma Long? Zelma Long. Who, who, uh, I talked to her, and she, she was the one right. to invite me to particip- uh, participate in, in, the, in, the wine, in the winery, to be included in the winery, yeah. Because women and wine is a, uh, an important topic, and of late, it's kind of moved to harassment, you know, whether it's at a restaurant or a winery or in a restaurant. And here's Mr. Mandavi 40, 50 years ago, you know, supporting women in the most key of positions, you know, so kudos to him. And I thought a lot about it. I thought, why he's so, um, he, he likes so much strong women and women who wanted to lead. I thought about his mother. What do you think? His you, mother. His mother? Absolutely, because the mother was strong, but he always loved his mother. So he understood that men and women can live together and can lead together. That's the best story and example. There's one other story I want you to tell, and I think I have it right. Um, you were friends or met a woman in Europe that ran tours, Margaret, Mm. that, you know, I I don't know if she brought you over, but you came over with her. And where the story went is unbelievable. I'm talking about Margaret is a Beaver, Biver? Margaret Beaver Mondavi. Yeah, but tell me before she was a Mondavi how you knew her. It's just a very amazing story Uh, how it ended up. I, I knew her because of Robert Mondavi Winery. I didn't know her before. Okay. The reason why I am in this uh, position is because of Robert Mondavi, who, uh, who, who attracted me and his, with his philosophy at his winery. Right. But Margaret was there, and uh, at that time she was not Margaret Mondavi. She was Margaret Beaver, and she was in charge of all the tools, the uh, the um, the, uh, the the art, the music. Everything which was at the winery, at the winery, and that's why that um, beautiful uh, uh, person could could make the winery even more precious and more known. So I cannot separate Mr. Mondavi and Margaret Mondavi for the success of the winery because she she's she is she was they were completely complementary. So she brought the good food, good life, 
and he brought the marketing and the good wine. So that was perfect. And what did she do? She encouraged you to work there or come over there or no she was not touching the winemaking but we were friends right away because we were speaking french together joking right. in france in french so that's mainly a friendship right and how soon after that did she marry mr mondavi i think she married mr mondavi in 1990 okay okay let me think no ooh, uh yeah maybe 1990 yeah Interesting yeah. how the whole thing comes together. Can oh, you, yeah. is there a time where in your mind, let's say in Napa and with Cabernet in Napa, was there a time where things changed and, you know, it became a modern, a modern style or was that in the 2000s? Was that in the 90s or did it ever happen? I think it's uh, modern all the time, but definitely... Uh, the new generation of uh, winemakers, uh, they like to explore on their own. Um, That generation likes to invent, not to follow too many rules. And has creativity is huge in that new generation. And I think I'll enjoy their creativity because it teaches me even more. Because uh, for me, I had a very strict education and I am following that strict science. But they don't like that. They want to They're be on They're less their... interested in tradition and yeah. convention yeah. and willing. Oh, yeah, to explore. So I think we all exist well together. Do you think the outcome of some of those efforts have been good? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. It opened the door to even better. That's good to hear. Um, Jean-Vievre, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about the winery and the wines and a bunch of other things. We're talking to Jean-Vievre Janssens from Robert Mondavi Winery. You're listening to The Grape Nation, and we'll be right back. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Linda Liu, and I'm the host of Feast Meets West, the show that celebrates Asian culture through the lens of food here on HRN. Listen to episodes like The Evolution of Chinatown with Namwa Tea Parlors, Wilson Tang, and New York Times' Elaine Chen. Catch our ongoing series, Women in Asian Food, and spotlight episodes with our heroes like Anita Lowe. You can find Feast Meets West wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. We're back. We're back with our guest, Jean-Viev Janssens. Jean-Viev is at Robert Mondavi Winery. She's the chief winemaker. Um, You had mentioned the word innovation before and even talked about it, but I want to get a little specific because through the years, and you were there most of the years, there were a lot of innovations and changes in the business, you know, that were done at Mondavi. And I think you implied that Mr. Mondavi brought a lot of it from Europe. What were the major things? You had mentioned oak barrels, but go through everything 
with me again. The things that were happening at Mondavi that were happening there before other wineries. Yeah, I start again with the Phylloxera when we had to replant 80% of Tokalon, our vineyards around the winery. Mr. Mondavi wanted to to honor the that vineyard, that beautiful vineyard that we called First Growth or um, right. Grand Cru. Grand Cru. And we had 56 oak tanks in, installed, which I think we were the first winery to have so many oak tanks. When you think about the maintenance of that oak, those oak tanks, it shows that the Robert Mondavi wanted quite a first. So this is, that was an innovation in the wine industry. And then we used a gravity flow, sorting tables, um, everything was gentle. <coughs> so, so a lot of that was not going on in those days? Uh, the, the beginning. It was we the are beginning. not the innovator, right. but we were following a movement. The, the, the most active and largest practitioner. Yes, yes, for we, sure. were, we were moving. Um, I think innovation doesn't come from one day to another. Right. It's an evolution. And so we were following the evolution, and it, it fit very well what Mr. Mondavi had in mind and the style that we wanted to achieve. So a couple things. Let's break that down. So the large oak barrels, after the wines were fermented, were stored in the large oak barrels? No, we used the uh, oak barrels, uh, oak tanks. Tanks, I meant, not barrels, I meant tanks. Oak tanks just once a year. Fermentation of Just the, for fermentation. For the, the reserve in the Oakville. Um, and was it a neutral oak or in it time? It was brand new, but the surface between the wine and the oak never affected the wine. It was never too oaky. So as a vessel, it didn't influence no. the wine as no. much. No, but it was beautiful for the tannin. And why move to gravity? Fed. To not brutalize the fruit, do not to, uh, that was mainly to be gentle. And gentleness was important for Mr. Mondavi. So before you moved to gravity fed, everything would come in in boxes and get moved around and crushed yes. and up yes. and down and all of that. Um, talk to me about something that's very close and dear to you that you were and are very much involved with, and that's the Tokalon project. When did that come about? Why did it come about? First vintages, you know, where things are at now. Tell me about, you know, the property and everything. So Tokalon is uh, what I was, Tokalon project is the, the oak tank. So I just talked about it. It's because right. of the phylloxera. So it's, uh, it's a continuity of had Mr. Mondavi had to replant his vineyard. And so after that, he had the idea to to do the uh, to do the oak tanks to give to his reserve what he thought was the best for the profile of the tannin, because he always wanted his uh, style of tannin to be soft, gentle, harmonious. So all of that is all harmony, and so that's a Tokalon project. And then uh, we age the, the Cabernet Sauvignon Reserve in 100% uh, new French oak. And the gravide, we, 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 we have uh, three levels at the winery. The top is to crush. The middle of the level is to pump over and do what we have to do to do the winemaking. And then we have the barrel room down downstairs, and it goes by gravity into the barrels. Now, what about the property? It's some of the most gorgeous and best grape-growing properties you know, in all of California, the world. Like you said, it's a Grand Cru or yes. first growth. Why? Location, climate, soil? Tell me about all of those. I, th I think it is all above. It's, um, it's a very, um, it's a location in the middle of Oakville, uh, Napa Valley. Is it a bench or is it on hills? It's a bench and it is slightly sloped. You have 9%, which is really nice. And uh, it's at the bottom of the Mayakamas Mountain. So through millions of years, there was uh, the water and the rain um, uh, er eroding the, uh, the mountains. And so at the bottom of the Mayakamas Mountain, you have a very nice heavy sediments and pebbles and and that's where the, the best of our vineyards are growing the, 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 the reserve. And uh, so the, they, it's a very lean soil, not very rich. So the roots has to go very deep. deep. And then slowly we go in the middle of Tokanon, the vineyard, and then this more sandy soil because when the flow of water uh, was driving the sediments, the 
less heavy sediments were sands, and then closer to the highway, it's uh, the clay. So uh, the, the middle of Tocano usually produce our Oakville Cabernet Sauvignon. The, against the, the west side and against the, the Mayacamas Mountains, this is reserve. And then we have other tiers going from the, from the vineyard, which I have clay. So it is, that's, that's the soil. So uh, these three soils you described are literally hundreds of yards apart? Oh, yeah. Quarter mile. I mean, it's over it's, there here. I mean, it's we, that. We have to remember then. <laughs> you it's do. It's a million, million of uh, years. The Napa Valley soil was under the ocean on the top of, uh, he, of right. the mountains are constantly changing. And everything has its own character and yeah. nuance. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So specific wine or blending or whatever. Yes. Um, what about climate? It would seem like exposure to the sun. Yes, we ha we have a beautiful climate, a very exceptional. In the morning, we have the sun, very bright, and because it's against the mountain, the mountain, you have the shade around four or five uh, in the afternoon. So mountain shade, the, yeah, the shadow. Yeah, of the because mountain. the sun is going down uh, on the west. So. so that's important. Very you important. Get some cooling in the afternoon. Absolutely, and because it's close to the ocean, we have the the entrance of the ocean in in uh, County Ross, and then we have Sonoma, and it's when it's windy, we we have the fog bathing the vineyard in the evening and the night, so cooling the fruit, and then in the morning again the sun is there. So it's very unique. It sounds pretty damn ideal. It's beautiful. Right? Yeah. I mean, you're lucky for that. Tell me about, and we could talk about Tokalan or, you know, any of the other stuff. Tell me about farming and cellar practices mm -hmm. for the wines and the winery. Um, you know, there's a big push towards sustainability, organics, biodynamics. Um, more and more people feel wines are made in the vineyard. Um, there's very low intervention in the cellar, but that varies. Um, tell me what kind of practices. We are very sustainable, but we, don't, we are not certified organic. Okay. But um, we have been always very concerned about nature, and definitely that was the philosophy of Mr. Mondavi, and we are continuing. And we have a new team of uh, vineyard, a vineyard manager and uh, viticulturist who really believe in that. It's a new generation. And the new generation is pretty strong. With Demands that. it almost. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's no compromise. And they are very modern. They use a lot of new tools to understand the soil, to check the weather. To, they, they are so uh, keen of uh, the new technology, but implementing in the vineyards in a traditional way. So when the fruit is ready to be picked, we have beautiful fruit, and so it's, it's a gorgeous uh, team. Now, what about in the cellar? We talked about a very positive thing, which is gravity-fed. You know, uh, that's, mm -hmm. there's little intervention on the grape. What else are you doing there? Um, so do for you the, try to intervene as little as possible? Yeah, we are very natural, a very minimalist. I think uh, we have... Uh, the, the traditional way of uh, making wine from Bordeaux, because it, it's what Mr. Mondavi enjoyed the most as a style. And then we are trying not to change the course of the winemaking and the course of the vintage. We are very true to the vintage and true to the soil. Right. Um, you've had a pretty good run of vintages, right? Oh, yes. The past... Mm -hmm. Four, five, six Many years. years. Oh, even more. Yeah, I, mean, I think Napa is Napa Valley is very lucky. Yeah, I mean, thank God for that. Um, I think maybe 2011 was the last okay vintage. You know, yes, but you should test the 2011 wine. Well, I never doubt. I, I never doubt a whatever is called a bad vintage from a good winemaker, <laughs> you know. So yes, I believe you on that. Um, tell me about you a little. Your role at the winery has changed and evolved a little. Tell me what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis now. So I have changed my responsibilities. So since uh, the March 2019, my title is Chief Winemaker, and uh, I am not anymore in the day-to-day -day activities, and we have uh, a team doing that of winemakers, and Nova Kadamatre is a senior director of winemaking, and she's in charge of that department now. But I am here to mentor all that team, and I am there walking vineyards with them, explaining them what I have seen in the past, what, a lot of things in the continuity, vineyard. Continuity, the continuity, history, and the a lot in the testing room, and a lot in fermentation. 
Um, so uh, the, I'm still very much involved, but not in the decision, uh, not in the decision, but mainly not in meetings in uh, a lot of things. And sounds good to me. It sounds great for, to me too. Do you miss, you know, that day-to-day interaction with the winemaking, or you did it so much? If I have to be really honest, I don't miss it. You don't. But I am enjoying now. So you're in a good place. I am in a good place, yes. Which is nice to hear. Um, The other thing, and I can't help but asking you this, is, you know, you've endured significant changes at the winery. As many years that were, you know, the same, there were many, you know, where there were changes. Um, The death of Mr. Mondavi, not easy family squabbles which were played out you know in the press um the sale of the winery you know to a big company um did any of this have any effect on you or the wines like when a constellation came in did you ever worry that the quality of the wine would be pushed to change or production no not at all uh, i think uh, constellation when uh, they purchased robert mondavi uh, the name and Robert Mondavi Winery, they knew then they have a treasure. So nobody wants to destroy a treasure. No. So it let us totally free of continuing the winemaking and the vision. And now they are helping us even to be better. So I see uh, Robert Mondavi Winery being even better and better. Just what Mr. Mondavi wanted, we are going to pursue his vision. And it's So they're exciting. supportive with the resources Absolutely. and the oh, continued yes. vision and all of that. Yes. Um, that's nice to hear. Um, on a side note, are you still making wine with your husband? Yes, at home in a small winery. We could say then we it are. It may be a small winery, but it has a big reputation. Oh, it's thank called you. Portfolio. Portfolio, right? 200 cases, and true gravity flow, no pumps, no filtration. Uh, no cooling system, so we crash. More down and dirty. Yes, and uh, punch down. So uh, That's w- it, 200 cases? Yes, and it's plenty enough for two people, I tell you that. And, uh, well, that I have some. So yeah. it gets to the East Coast and, you know, it yeah. gets to guys like me. Yeah. Um, your current vintage is what? 2015. 15? Yes. And just take me back. So you pull the grapes in 15, you vent them, and then what's the process they're in? So uh, barrels, barrels, bottles. 100% new French oak for 22 months, then bottle, and we bottle ourselves. And then we store for a year, and then we market it ourselves. So it's all from the grapes to the on the table of the people, it's just the two, the, the two of us. Um, so that's two years in oak, a year in the bottle, so three years and whatever mm-hmm. other time before it hits the market. That's portfolio. Um, all right, jean we don't let anybody leave the Grape Nation interview without answering our wine list, and we ask everyone five questions, and... I post all the answers on social media, and I have a database for all my guests. So I want to pick your brain on a few things. First question is, what are you drinking now? Forget about what we're drinking. What's in your fridge? What's on your table? What are you curious about? Are you changing seasons? Did you go from white to reds? What are they? What are you drinking now? So we are two at home. So we have two different wines. Okay. Because we have different palettes. So the wine I enjoy the most is mainly from my roots from Provence, and it's a rosé. Okay. And the rosé is coming from the Seigneur of Portfolio, and I always put two ice cubes in my glass. So you're an ice person with your rosé. I love it. Okay, and you like rosé from Provence, which is really the best place. And did you say you're that favorite maker? What do you like? Which... What oh. rosés do you like? Uh, the the rosé that I'm making at uh, Portfolio. At Portfolio. Yeah. Simple, humble, but fresh. So free. when you drink rosé, you're drinking your own rosé. Yes. Now, is that available? No. So you make <laughs> for it. For friends. You literally make it for yourself. No, for friends. For friends. But I, I mean, you know, that circle yes. and all that. Yeah. That's pretty exclusive. That kind of sucks because none of us can try it or whatever. I can send you some. Okay. I may take you up on that. Do you ever drink other rosés from Provence? Is I there always, a maker that yes. you remember or like? I have many, <coughs> many uh, rosés from Provence and I enjoy. I knew the wineries 
And uh, I think I like Bondol too. It's not just Provence. Bondol is great. There is a lot. I, I cannot mention a winery, but definitely but delicious. Rosés from Bondol and certainly yeah. Provence are among the best. All right. Do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Not something you eat every night or even every month. I like but champagne with oysters. That's my... Okay. And, and you know it's Can I tell you something? Tell me. And I forgot to tell you this before the show. We have a rule Ooh. that you cannot answer that question with champagne and oysters Ooh. because that is the classic. And I agree with you, and you're right. And that's the easy answer, and it's the right answer. What's your second favorite wine and food? Okay, okay. <laughs> right, I'm twisting your arm. Okay. So a good uh, steak on the barbecue, very juicy and rare. It's very important. I know where and this is a going. good Cabernet Sauvignon. Like a Mondavi Reserve. Or portfolio. Or portfolio. A great cut of meat and a great wine. And the husband, too. Barbecue, it, yes. Very good. Life is too short yes. to drink crappy wine yes. and eat crappy steaks, so that's a perfect one. All right, we ask our guests, "Do you have a favorite wine restaurant and our bar?" And the context is a place that does wine well, that's knowledgeable, that has an interesting list. Um, that you enjoy going to. I don't want you to feel exclusive where you're leaving people out or whatever, but let's take Napa where you spend most of your time. Is there Are there any places that are just... Uh, Napa is, has so many good places. Give me a few. And we, we, try, we try not to always go to the same one. We try to explore because they open like mushrooms. They go just everywhere. So you have Tor, you have... Um, um, you have so many... Um, uh, Angel, you have uh, steakhouse. You have depending what you want to drink. Right. It, it's all, and you have beautiful uh, sushi uh, restaurants. So depending of your mood, uh, you have you have an Italian restaurant. So so generally, because it's a wine centric area, the wine service everywhere is very good. Yeah, and and uh, your different choice. at a sushi place than in an Italian place, but both interesting wines. You're yeah, saying. and you have Thai Thai too restaurant, so it's very diverse. And depending of which bottle you want to take with you or friends, or so it's a diversity is beautiful in Napa. Okay, um, favorite all time wine. It used to be the question pointed towards the rarest and most expensive yeah. wine you had, but it's morphed more into a wine that's memorable, resonates, mm -hmm. had an experience connected to it. What wine do you see like that? The inspiration has been always Chateau Cheval Blanc. Okay. It is something that Heck of a wine. I dream to have every day on my table. Was there a time where you first tried it that it was so memorable yeah. and stuck with you? Do you remember? Well, I, I tried it when I was a student because at that time we could go at the winery and they, they were pretty uh, open for students. So we were testing and they were discussing with us their um, winemaking, mainly because we were students. And, and that's when I discovered the Camille, um, that um, the Camille Franc was so, so special. And so now I'm pursuing that at Robert Mondavi Winery, and we are bonding a Cabernet Franc. And so I was going to ask you, why that. is it so interesting to you? It's the Cabernet Franc in there, right? Yeah. The Cheval Blanc. Yeah, because it's extremely soft, gentle, complex. So stop there and go backwards for a second. You're a Cabernet specialist, but you've blended wines. Describe to me again what Cabernet Franc, it's characteristics and what it does when you blend it, what it adds. Okay, let's start by what the Cabernet Franc, a good Cabernet Franc should add to the Cabernet Sauvignon. It's refine the tannin, make it polished, make it very civilized, approachable, instead of big, big um, punch on your, your palate. Right. It's, really, it's going to be expanding the Cabernet Sauvignon in the entire palate. And then it's going to be very uh, fragrant and very complex because uh, Cabernet Franc is going to be on the borderline of being veggie but not veggie. But There's so a vegetal it, aspect and, and, to it. And flirting That's with That's interesting, you. though. Yeah. A little of that. Complex, very complex. Complex. Um, of the five Bordeaux blend wines, it sounds like that 
the most compelling or very interesting to you? Is mm-hmm. that true to say that? Besides yes. Cabernet Sauvignon. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so any particular vintage? I know all of them, but... Uh, from uh, the Cheval Blanc. No, oh. from the Cheval Blanc. Go no. back to your favorite one. No, no, because it's not They're something all. that I drink all the time, <laughs> unfortunately. But um, I think even a bad vintage will be good. That's my... Um, yeah. I, I have no this is probably the fourth time I'll say it, but a good winemaker during a not great vintage is still a great wine. And Cheval Blanc, I'll drink, you know. Any, any vintage. Yeah, I'm with you any on vintage, that. Any vintage, yeah. All right, last question, and this may be hard for you, but think about it. I ask all my guests to recommend the best wine around $15, $20, a red and a white, and here's the setup. Kristen can't afford $50 wines at a party, and she doesn't want to show up with $8 supermarket wines because they're no good. So she's going to a dinner, and she wants to spend about $15, $20. What should she bring? And, like, you can give me a category, like Muscadet for white, or what What are the best values in red and white, in your mind? Okay. Can I say that you go to Europe, and you go to the humble wineries who make wine in a simple way, but in a very good way, so I will say you have so many choices. You have Italy, you have the Sanson France or the Loire Valley or Spain. So Loire or for sure is making yeah. great wines. And uh, you could have um, the Sicilian from Sardinia. So for red, Sicilians are great value. They're big, bold, beautiful wines. Yeah. And you have pleasure. And the Loire Valley whites. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I think those are good answers. Thank you. Good job. Good job on the wine list. And like I said, I'm going to post those because people are very interested in what you're thinking and what you're drinking. Um, So thank you for that. Um, We always end the show with a segment called the Weekly Wine Sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air. This week it only made sense to taste your wines, and it's a treat because these are among the, you know, great California wines and wines of the world. So we are drinking, is it a 2016? Yes. Mondavi Reserve mm-hmm. Tokalan. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell me a little about this wine. It's a uh, blend. You know, it's a any. blend of uh, a percentage of Camille Franc and I think maybe 7% Camille Franc with uh, 3% of Petit Verdot. I'm not totally sure about the percentage, but it's usually what we are doing. So the next... After Cab Sauv is petite. Yes. I mean Cab Franc. Cabernet Franc. Franc sure. Always it's uh, in the DNA of our reserve since 1966. Always Cabernet Franc in our blend. And then uh, Petit Verdot arrived in 1990 after the Phylloxera. And we are always adding 1% to 3%, very rarely more than that. And uh, it uh, the... the the 2016 comes from a fantastic vintage that I adore. Uh, it's Why a, do you adore it? The weather? Be, because of the, the weather. The picking times. The, I think it's the weather. The weather. The, it's, uh, because it's, um, the, the, the rain arrived a little bit in the spring, but it's a drought year. And then uh, during the, um, the harvest, it was not a lot of uh, bizarre up and down heat and cold, and so it's very, uh, very harmonious vintage. And we ended up with uh, something extremely, uh, with a lot of personality. The tannins are extremely present, but in a very soft way, and the fruit is beautiful. All right, so let's pick up the glass and yes. help me evaluate yes. it. So we always start with color. Yes, it's that typical deep dark purple. Not, not even brooding, you know, because there's a teeny bit of lightness on the edge. But it's a beautiful, you know, purple, typical color. Oh, yes. Okay. It's very dense. Now we go to nose. I need you to get your schnozzola in there and tell me, give me some nose descriptors. Okay. What are we getting on the nose? So when I test now, because it's a young wine, you smell the oak. But I got hit with the oak and the vanilla right away, but, but not... beautiful oak. Very integrated, and very nice. Very Prominent, but nice. And behind behind the scene, but you smell it. So you have the brown spice um, of, of, uh, of the oak, and then you have, when if I, if I 
smell it, it's you have that a little bit a hint of freshness. So I call that the garig or the dry herbs. Right, I definitely you, get herbs in there. Yeah, and this is typical Fresh Tocalon. Fresh and dry. Yeah, Mostly so dry. it's a, an expression of, of Tocalon from that 2016 vintage. And then you have the blackberry. You have the, the, dark, the food profile is a dark, dark fruit. Yeah. Yes. Definitely blackberries. All right, let's go mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. So I'll go first. I would say it's a medium, medium plus. It's not this cloying, opulent. It's very elegant in the mouth, uh, mouth filling. What do you say? I see that uh, when I taste this wine, the, the, it's very engaging. So you have a, a, a very elegant entry, which is going to encourage you to continue it on the palate. And then you have a very elegant, again, middle. It's not hollow. It's You have the density in the middle, which when you have a middle, you always have a good length. And yes. it's finishing extremely long and finishing extremely fresh. You have a little bit of minerality, which belongs to Tocanon. You don't have that everywhere. And you have a silkiness, then it's absolutely exquisite. Now, on the palate, are the descriptors on the palate similar to the nose? The oak and the vanilla, the yeah, it's, black, same thing? It's, it's, Do you get anything else on fruit. the palate? Uh, I, I have that, the, that that freshness and definitely the... The tannins are extremely evolved in the same time being fresh and young. The tannins are... It's very fine. Very fine. Yeah. And so, yes, I do have that dark... We can have dark plum, too. Yes. Uh, because it's a rich it's a rich wine. Definitely some dark plum. And, um, and sometimes... Um, I don't think we have cassis this time, but usually no. we have. So we have more in the dark world of blackberry, wildberry, and plum. Not because not current or cassis no. more of that other sort of a sweeter richer fruit not mm-hmm. the all right what i don't know if this is easy and obvious because we talked about it before but what foods pair well with this wine i think a, a very nice how oh, it pairs with a lot of uh, good um good food good food good wine goes together but okay. let's get specific yeah, yeah, okay okay so i think uh above bourguignon will be great uh, I think we can have the, the, the any uh, meat with some uh, sauce, dark sauce will be great. Of course, the barbecue will be exquisite. But you can expand your experience with some, I'm sure chicken will be great. A complex chicken will I be agree. great. Not just a plain. No, but I think people, when they think about pairing it, they think about the meat and not the sauce. Mm-hmm. Like if barbecue has a thick, saucy sauce, that's what you're pairing with. Mm-hmm. Um, if a chicken is well dressed, you know, spicy or whatever, this can hold up it to will, that. It will be delicious. Certainly, it would be good with a juicy hamburger and that steak we yes, talked about before. Yes. All right, so this 2016 vintage, this is a damn good vintage. You're very happy with it. Absolutely. And this is available in the market now. Yes. Right? Yes. All right, so that's the 2016 Robert Mondavi winery reserve tocalon this is you know one of the iconic wines of wine Mm -hmm. of napa Mm -hmm. of the winery right Mm -hmm. um when last question and then we got to wrap up when did the reserves put tocalon on the label was it always or was there a time when in the past, we did not have the name Tocalon. Long, but were long. the grapes from Tocalon, even though they weren't on the... Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's what I was trying to get yeah. to. And then I think it's 2011, then we had uh, Tocalon on the label. Okay. All right. So like I said, that's the 2016 Mondavi Reserve Tocalon. Uh, Jean-Viev, we have to wrap up the show. That's an hour. It went quickly. Um, it always goes quickly when you're having fun. Um, if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation, on Instagram and Twitter. On Instagram, we're at sbenruby. On Twitter, we're at benruby. But you can use the hashtag 
the grape nation on both. I know it's confusing. Um, as I mentioned, we'll post Jean Viev's wine list uh, answers, and I will post the wine we drank for our weekly wine sip. Um, Jean Viev, if we wanted to find out more about Mondavi wines and the reserve and all that, where's the best place to go? To the website. Okay, and, and that is robertmondavi.winery.com. Dot com. Um, and is the winery on social media? Oh, yes. Instagram, Facebook, Absolutely. all under Robert Mondavi, yeah. I would assume. Do you have any social media accounts? Can we stalk or lurk you? I don't know. No, I don't. All right. If you do, I'll post them when I post everything else. Um, all right. I want to thank our guest, Jean-Viev Janssen. Um, Jean-Viev, as you heard, um, has been at the Robert Mondavi Winery for many years. Um, I want to thank our engineer, Jeet, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio you can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you want to be part of the food world's most innovative community Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.